The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. I want to start off today with a simple question, which is when you really think about your life and when you really think about your daily actions and the things that separate you from people and the things that separate you from God, how sinful are you? Uh, we're going to do a parable here called The Two Debtors, like, like the slide says, and we're going to be talking about sin and how much sin is there in your life. And I just want to know, have you ever sat down and thought, how much sin do I have in my life? What is this point of diversion between me and God? Is it a small gap? Is it a big gap? Is it everything? Is it nothing? And these are the type of things we want to keep in mind when we're reading in this tonight. So if you can, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 7, verse 36. I'm going to go ahead, and I'm just going to go ahead and read uh, 36 through 50. So that'll be beginning to end, uh, and we'll go from there. It says, uh, Then one of the Pharisees invited him to eat with him, him being Jesus. He entered into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And a woman in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of fragrant oil and stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair of her head, kissing them and anointing them with fragrant oil. When the Pharisees who lived when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, This man, if he were a prophet, would know, what, know who and what kind of woman who is touching him. She is a sinner. And Jesus replied to him, Simon, I, ha- I have something to say to you. Teacher, he said, say it. I'm a, creditor, a creditor has two debtors. One owes 500 denarii and the other one owes 50. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So with the, which... So which of them will he love more? Simon answers, I suppose, the one whom he forgave more. You have judged correctly, he told him, turning to the woman. He said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she, with her tears, has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she has not stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You did not anoint my head with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's, that is why she loves much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who were at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this man whom even he forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's pray real quick. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity to come here and to speak, and to really just be able to proclaim what you have put in your word and what you've given me to say tonight. I pray that this passage really strikes to the heart of the people today. I pray that we feel the weight of our sin and that we feel the separations between us and you and that this passage brings us closer together. We thank you for that, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's do a little bit of uh, talking real quick right here. Uh, First of all, we walk in that Jesus is reclining at the table eating a meal. So this is, uh, you know, a Hellenistic period in Greece. So 
when you see this, it is actually laying down around a table. There's going to be like a little square table here, and everyone's going to be lounging down on cushions and stuff like that, kind of like they do in 300 and Gladiator and all those movies that we watch. And they're eating the fruit and everything like that, and this is the type of feeling and a feel that they have there. So they come in from a long, dusty walk from one town to another, from standing outside all day, covered in sweat. They're going to be covered in dust. Their sandals are going to be messy and everything like that. And then they go sit down and eat. So this is kind of the thing that we have here. And this also is the next step where that this is a really intimate thing. Um, you know, you invite people to your house, it's an intimate thing for dinner, especially when you invite a teacher to your house. You know, I think about uh, the times I went to my professor's house in college, and they're like, come over and have dinner with me. And I, as the student, I was extremely nervous. And I noticed that there was a difference between the two of us and that he saw me differently, and he looked at me differently, and there was this almost like a respect for the teacher, even though I was in his house. So I can't imagine if that was separated to where the teacher was coming into my house, somebody who had something so important to my life. So there's this intimate feeling. There's this thing around there, lying around the table, lounging and such. And they're, <clears throat> sorry, but also it's not just them. Uh, some people say this could be in like a symposium setting, it could be in a house, it could be in a courtyard, but basically you have the point where there's this sitting down around eating food of this intimate feeling between them and good conversation and dialogue, but people are also able to come in and leave because we see this lady come in and get all the way to Jesus without there being like, a, oh man, who's this person here? I mean, I don't know about you, but if I'm sitting at my house and I have, you know, Pastor Vince over and somebody walks in crying with an alabaster jar and makes it all the way over to him and somehow gets his shoes off before I notice him, I feel like, you know, that would be like really bad. So that doesn't happen in my life. But there obviously had to be a place where they could sit down and talk to where others people can just listen in to what Jesus and these apostles are saying. And they're listening and they're taking for it with this conversation and that people can come in and out. And this is kind of the mindset that we need to be in when we're reading this passage to where this is a conversation that Jesus is having. He is going up against the uh, priests, the, the pastors, the people who think they have it right in that day. And he's coming along with a new message. And he is sitting down saying, we are going to sit and talk and eat. And I'm going to dialogue with you and discuss that. But there's going to be all these other people around who can get this feeling and get this uh, thing so that everybody can get this knowledge that he's coming out. And we're just kind of those people on the outside right now. We're kind of like that lady standing there saying, oh, I'm starting to weep with this alabaster jar. We're on the outside listening to this conversation that he's saying. All right. So... <clears throat> Uh, the next thing that happens is a woman comes in and anoints Jesus with expensive oil and her tears. Uh, it's really obvious that the Pharisees didn't do that. There was no oil or anything put over his body, and they also criticized her for what she was doing. So when you look at this, there's a couple of things that we can see here, that the Pharisees brought somebody who they thought wore either they're equal or right above them or right below them, right around that same class as them into their house. They didn't say, oh, you know what? You had a dusty walk today. Why don't you wash your feet? They didn't say, oh, let me give you a kiss greeting of hello. Why don't you put some olive oil in your hair and clear off your face or anything like that? They didn't do any of those things. They saw them as a pure equal, and they said, come in and sit down and talk to us. Meanwhile, this lady on the side who says, how are you? In her mind, is almost like, how are you treating him like an equal when you know what he is? Or do you not know what he is? And so she rushes over with her own tears and begins to wipe the dust off of Jesus' feet that he had from the day on the ground. So it's not, it's not like a, uh, 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 a simple thing. It's almost like, you know, when you go to the beach 
and you've been sweating all day and there's sand just all over your feet and all in your sandals? Well, Jesus is kind of laying there and this lady's coming up with, it, with her tears in her hair and wiping that much dirt away. It's not, a, it's not a clean process. It's a cleaning process. It's extremely dirty. And this is what this lady is doing, just taking there. And then she goes and this oil that she had meant to put on Jesus' head, she can't even make it to his head because she is so distraught that she got to wipe the dirt off of this man's feet that she pours this super expensive oil right on his feet. I mean, I don't know today, it wouldn't be like putting gasoline on someone's feet, but it's almost the same thing where it's just like, oh, what's the most expensive oil that you can find? I don't know. Uh, I, I think that'd be a little weird if somebody poured kerosene on my feet. So maybe you could take it a little bit differently and say, you know, it's like frankincense, myrrh, annoying oil, alabaster jar, whatever. It's expensive, and this lady is a sinner who didn't have a lot of money, and this is what she is using her money to do, which is clean Jesus' feet, anoint Jesus' feet, and then kisses his feet. She says, let me clean your feet because your feet deserve to be clean. Let me anoint your feet because your feet deserve to be anointed. And let me kiss your feet out of gratitude and show my love for you. And this is how I'm going to do it. And she couldn't even make it to the man's head to pour the oil over his head like the olive oil was supposed to. But, but what do we see with the Pharisees criticizing them? It's almost, um, no, it's not almost. They, they didn't know who Jesus was. They didn't know the, the bigness, the importance of the man laying across the table with him. They were laying down saying, let me lay here and talk with this man and have a dialogue. And we're going to discuss this out. And hopefully I learned something. Hopefully he learned something. Because we're both teachers. We're both this. We're both that. He might be a little bit smarter than me. He might be a little bit lower than me. He might be a prophet. But we're pretty much, you know, this type of people. And this is the feeling you're getting that he's having. All right. So what do they see? There's a, there's a superiority complex. They're taking a man who has a big following, who has grown a small following and done miracles and have been healing people and doing every other thing that the gospel says that he had done and is about to do. That man, they're taking him and saying, yeah, you know, I think we're about equal. Let's just lay down and talk this through. And, uh, you know, we're not going to do any special treatment for you, just like there's no special treatment for me. Let's have a dialogue. And this is the type of scenario that he's coming into. So there's a clear, clear superiority complex that these, that these Pharisees have when they're equal with Jesus, which I don't, I mean, we know who Jesus is now. They didn't then, so you could see uh, why it would be so absurd from us. And then Jesus calls out Simon in the middle of this whole process. And uh, some thinks that uh, Simon is the same Simon that it said at the beginning of Luke. So um, at the beginning of Luke, the John the Baptist, they were talking about Jesus coming. There's a man named Simon, and he said, oh, I'm not supposed to die until I meet the Savior. And some people think this is that Simon who is a Pharisee and that Jesus is hanging out with now. So there's this big connection from Luke from the beginning to the end. And whether that is or not that Simon or a different Simon, we still see that there is a relationship between Jesus and Simon here. There's a, a function between the two where they've been, they've been talking before. He knows him by name. He can call him out. He can say this, this, and this. And Simon does the thing that a lot of people don't do, and that's in verse 40 because Jesus says, Simon, I have something to tell to you. And he says, teacher, say it. So he's turning around, and it's almost like he's putting himself down below now, and he's saying, you're my teacher. Teach me what you have to say. So now we have Simon a little bit less, and that's where he is, okay. And so Simon calls him teacher out of, a out of a sign of respect, and I don't know if that really means he knows who Jesus was, if he made that full connection that he did in the beginning of Luke that he was told about. Um, probably not, seeing as how all the other things that happened in here, but he was willing to listen to what Jesus said. 
then Jesus says, right from there, he says, Simon, come here, let me talk to you. And, and he looks at me, he goes, teach, teacher. And then he immediately rips into Simon. And he just yells at him, and not yells at him, but he just says, you know what? You have been sitting across from me all night. You've been uh, put, bringing me down pegs on pegs on pegs on pegs. And his whole relationship and this whole conversation so far is Jesus saying, no, I'm, be- I'm better, I'm better, I'm better. And he's taking these, all these little steps up. And then finally, he gets to this point right here, and he says, hey, look, let me tell you how it is. And he says, I'm going to tell you a simple story, and let's just see if you can understand it. And this is the parable. He says, a creditor has two debtors. Uh, one owed 500 denali, and the other owed 50. And since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, I suppose the one who forgave more. I mean, you could just almost see him like, yeah, we're equals, we're equals. And then he just feels the setup coming. You know, like you feel when, I guess when you're a parent and you know your kid's lying and you keep asking them those questions to give them everything and everything, and then it's like almost at one point they start to realize, oh, wait a minute, I think they know I'm lying. And you can just see that panic and he's just like, I guess the one who we forgave more. And it's almost like, well, what happened to this person who was lounging there and talking and everything like that? And the confidence is clearly shaken in this passage right here. And Jesus comes right out and he says, you judge correctly. So it's almost like he goes, you know, I get that, oh, I get this breath out, I'm good now, just correctly. And he said, but he said a little bit more, and he goes, now let's look at this woman. And so we turn to this woman, and this is what he says. He says, do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she washed him with her tears. So immediately after he feels relieved, after he's like, yes, I judged this right, he says, you didn't. You, you, you judged it right. When you, when you read this passage, who do you love more? Obviously, the one who you forgave 500. That's who you love more because you forgave them more. Human logic, this means you love more. No, Jesus, this has to be the answer. And he says, you judge correctly, but you didn't judge the right way. You don't have the right understanding that Jesus is talking about in this passage. And he says, do you know how I know that? I know that by this. Because you didn't wash my feet and she did. You didn't anoint me with oil, and she did. You didn't do this, and she did. You didn't get this because, well, foreshadowing for what happens at the end of the passage, he's saying, I'm the one forgiving, and there's no love. Or better yet, maybe he did get it or got it the wrong way. Did he realize he was the one who was forgiven 50 and not 500 in this passage? Or did he think he was the one who didn't need forgiven of anything? Or, did, you know, where, or is he the, the lender in this passage? I mean, where did he put himself in this parable? I don't know. It's scary. But 50, 500, we're going to leave that right there for a minute. We're going to come back to it. But 500 or 50, both of those are a large amount of number. Large amount of number. Large amount of money. Uh, you know, whether it's 500 or 50, if you're crunched and you had to borrow 50, if they forgave 50, I feel like that's a lot. Because I've been in a situation where I'm all like, I just need 20 bucks for gas, and paying that 20 bucks back was harsh. I'm like, I don't want to pay this back because I need that 20 bucks to buy another tank of gas, and I can't keep doing this, so maybe you should just give me 20, and then I could be like ahead for the next 20. So I've been there with the 50, and now like I'm imagining, okay, and then you come and buy 500. Well, I've borrowed 500 before. Um, I've been in that circumstance where I'm trying to pay for school books or a class or something like that, and I'm borrowing hey, I need $500 to do this, and it's the same mindset, where it's just like, you know, you could give me $500, you should just forgive me of $500, and we'll all be good here, and then I'll be ahead for the next setting. So I feel like in both of these, $550 are a lot, uh, but $500 is clearly more money, but to the individual, which one's more? What kind of need are you in? 
All right, so which one is forgiven more? The Bible clearly says right here that, um, hold on, I lost my place when I was reading here. He says, I suppose the one he forgave more, and he says, you have judged correctly. So yes, that person is forgiven more in the technical sense. They had more of a debt that is now forgiven. So what is the correct under, uh, this is the correct understanding of what is meant uh, by the initial biblical concept here. So then he turns from the people eating, and Jesus looks at the woman, and he's talking now. This is the people I'm talking for, and I'm looking at this woman, and I'm going to talk to her, and I, this is kind of like we said before, where you know everybody can hear what's happening, right? You can hear the dialogue. So is it like Jesus is kind of putting them back, saying, you are all going to hear this now, and this is for everyone? Is this Jesus pushing them back away from that table mentally? I don't know. I think it kind of has that concept where he's saying, you need to recognize your place and that I'm going to talk now. Um, but this is what Jesus does. He says, Jesus, um, Jesus was using this as an example from, for them to learn from. Jesus wa- the, she washes Jesus' feet with her tears and dries him with her hair. He didn't even offer him water. She kisses Jesus' feet right after she washed them with her hair and her tears. And let's be honest, they're probably not perfect if you just use tears and hair because that's not a lot of water. And your hair is probably really dirty because you had been outside all day. So these feet that are still probably rather dirty, she starts kissing. They didn't even give him a kiss hello when he walked in the door. She anoints Jesus' feet with an expensive oil, even though it's not his head. The guy didn't even offer olive oil, which is probably on the table for dinner, to put in his hair. Simon could have done any version of all these and been in line with custom. He could have done none of these and been in line with custom. It was something that you did out of respect for the visitor, for the visitor that came into your house, and he didn't do any of that. Simon, in my mind, Simon is rejecting Jesus as a teacher. Uh, sorry, Simon respects Jesus as a teacher, but not as the one who will lead to the forgiveness of sins. So like I said, this is that equality that Simon has here. Um, ultimately, this is a good thing. It might seem weird saying that this is a good thing. But when you look at this now, um, I mean, you can look at Muhammad in Islam, where we were confident in what we believed, and someone came in and said, no, you're wrong, and we let them sit down, and we listened, and then we said, no, you're, you're wrong. So I'm not going to come in and give you this level that you have to earn. So he was right in that sense, saying, you know, I, I'm not going to give him this until I know what he says. He was wrong, though, and ultimately wrong, is that he didn't believe that it was the real truth, and he couldn't see what Jesus was actually trying to do there. So he was right in the sense that you never want to let someone walk in your life and just say, these are what it is, you know, this is how it goes, and you just listen. Everything someone says, you have to talk it out, you have to read your Bible, you have to compare it out, you have to have this dialogue so you know that what you said is true and you can keep building on this firm foundation. He just kind of took that to the next level and didn't go anywhere else. Now, when you look back at this, the, this, is, this is where I really started to get happy. I don't know, um, I've been getting like really excited up here and this is, where, like, this is like the fun parts of the passage to me. Um, so the best thing about this passage in my mind, well, not all of it, but anyways, um, <laughs> Sorry. Uh, it says, therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, past tense. So her sins had been forgiven when she walks in, cries her tears, wipes it away, anoints him and starts kissing his feet. Her sins had already been forgiven. So this was in no way saying, let me do this so I can get this in reward. This is, let me do this. This was her saying, 
This is why it's so good. This is a woman who everyone in the town knows she's a sinner. The Pharisees know she's a sinner. They're saying, you're a prophet. You should have known she was a sinner. Everyone knows she's a sinner. They probably meant a harlot. That's what everyone says. This girl, bad news. You don't want to talk to her, especially if you are a Jew in this time. And you know what she's doing? She's saying, oh my gosh, I've been forgiven of all of that sin that separates me. I've been forgiven of all of that thing that separates me. So now I can come in to somebody who I think is a prophet and a teacher, and I can let alone touch him, but I can wash his feet, and I can use my tears, and I can anoint him with oil, and that I can do these other things? Like, this is, the, this is awesome. This is the attitude she had when her sins are forgiven. I don't know. So, uh, but, so what's the deeper, deeper meaning of this parable here that comes, comes up? It says, um, you know, Jesus goes to the end here and he says, the one, who has forgiven, the one who was forgiven of much loves much. The one who was forgiven of little loves little. All right, so we all have this amount that we are forgiven of and therefore it equals the amount of love that we have shown. Which, as I said, this woman who is seen really bad as a sinner who some people think was a harlot, she is saying, oh my gosh, a lot of sin, therefore she has a lot of love. We see this in our normal Christian life as well. When you have the person like me who grew up in church, who spent Every time they can imagine walking around the church, doing anything I could, I felt completely holy. I would have clearly put myself, and I still think I do, put myself in the one who thought they were forgiven of little, and therefore the loving little, and I had to work on the loving God more because I didn't realize it was a little. But there's also the people on the other side who come from, uh, oh, I've been in trouble my whole life, in and out of jail, I've done drugs, I've done this, I've done that. They, they can just pile on all their sins, all their sins, all their sins. And they say, I've known Jesus, and all of a sudden Jesus came to me when I was 22, sitting here doing this. We've all heard those amazing testimonies where God walks in. And you realize, when you look at these two stories of the person who grew up in church and, you know, had a lot, but at the same time, it was a very little compared to this other person, okay, you see why they could love more and why it's easier for them to love more because they realize all the stuff that they had that has gone through. And this is what Jesus is saying here. There's, this, there's these issues you work through, and the more you work through, the easier it is to love me. All right, so that's when Jesus looks at her and he tells her that her sins are forgiven. So she does this act out of grace. There's her sins forgiven. It's awesome. There's this awesome interruption in my meal. Oh my gosh, this would be so cool. Just imagine you're sitting there uh, as an apostle, chilling next to Jesus, and these Pharisees who are trying to make him look weird and trying to make him look stupid, trying to make him look just like them. This woman busts in and does all this, and she just gets to do all these amazing things and drop all this amazing knowledge on everybody. It's just, I don't know. I would, I would feel really happy if I was there in the room and got to see this. I would also feel really convicted. Um, the Pharisees then criticized Jesus to be able to forgive sins, which means they missed the point. They didn't see who Jesus was. He hasn't been revealed yet. There's not the cross, there's not this, there's not that. He's, he's working towards all these things, so I guess they're not going to understand it yet, but they miss the big point, which is the one who forgives is in front of you and you don't see it. Now, perhaps one of the uh, better parts, I know I said one of my favorite parts was before, but this is the other one. Uh, the very last verse in this whole thing, it says, And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, this is the first time that faith and salvation is mentioned together in Luke and Acts. It's the first time that Jesus is drawing these two comparisons together where your faith and your salvation are going to be linked and you've got to have faith in him. 
This is one of the key things in the whole thing. And that Jesus, it's kind of like uh, when Vin, Vince was preaching a couple weeks ago, setting up the laws of, of sowing and reaping. He's setting up the law here of that you need to have faith in Jesus for forgiveness of sins. This is what Jesus is set for. This is one of the best. This is an amazing passage when you think about it. We now know that, oh, it's my faith in Jesus that saves me. There's not these works I have to do. There's not these other things I have to do. It's me having faith in Jesus, and there's going to be fruit of that in my life for the rest of my life. All right, so a couple of points. Sorry about that. A couple of little points I want to talk about here on the side since we just kind of read through this whole thing real quick. Um, do we all realize that we are all sinners needing salvation through faith? This is what this whole passage right here, and everyone can bring out different things and different stuff all the way down, but this one last verse pulls this whole section together, and he says, this is the bombshell. This is the principle right here. We are all sinners who need salvation through faith. This is what Jesus is getting at this whole time. We have to get that. The second point is that the Pharisees did not consider themselves sinners as the lady did. Okay, so the Bible always says that Jesus sat around the table with sinners, and he also said he sat around the table with Pharisees. And I don't know if the Pharisees didn't realize it at the time or what, but every time they said, you know, oh, yeah, you always sit around the table with sinners, I bet Jesus is like, yeah, I do. I'm doing it right now. You know, like, I'm right around the table with you guys right now, and you don't realize that you are sinners. I mean, there's so much pride and egotism in this room, I don't know what I'm going to do with it. And Jesus is sitting around with them right there. So this is what we're talking about. The Pharisees did not consider themselves sinners. They thought they were living the law right. They thought they were living the, the law well. They thought they were doing the sacrifices well, and they didn't realize, and they couldn't see that the Messiah was right in front of them. The people who study the law, the people who, who read the law and should know, they should have known that was the Messiah in front of them, and they didn't. They were dining as equals and listening to another teacher of the law, but they didn't treat him as, a, as equals. There was no common, there was not the courtesy of washing your, no, there was, there was no, you're bringing something in that's new. There was no, there was none of this. They didn't realize that they were the sinners at the table. The woman realized that she had a lot of sin. So Pharisees, 50 the woman, 500, is how it's seen right now. Where she has a whole lot of sin that Jesus has forgiven, and this is the much love that she had shown by coming in and washing Jesus' feet. She knows what she had done. She knows the sin that she had, and she thought that it was amazing that Jesus came. And this is why she used an expensive oil and priceless tears to wash Jesus' feet. You spend a lot of money, and you spend a lot of emotion. This is a very emotional response. Have you ever had a sin in your life where, you're, where you think if you could get in front of Jesus, you would cry the fact that he could forgive that sin, that thing? Because that's what he did. And this is the type of, this is, this is her coming to the person who's saving her saying, I know this sin and this can produce enough, produce enough tears to wash your feet. Priceless tears. Expensive oil. It wasn't easy. It wasn't, it wasn't something that she could do. She heard that Jesus was in town and came. It, it wasn't, oh, I'm, I just happened to walk by and hear this. No, she heard, she came, she was ready. You buy the oil in a jar and you bring it. You don't find it in their house and say, oh, let me steal this oil from your house and add more sins that I'm gonna, like, that's not what happened. She brought the oil. 
She was emotionally charged enough to have that many tears. We're all saved by faith in Jesus. Salvation is faith in Jesus. So I got a couple questions that I want to I ask you here. And I don't know if, uh, maybe I should have asked this before I read the parable. In hindsight, probably would have gone better. But um, just think about these things real quick. Who would you put yourself as in this passage? Are you going to say, okay, so there's, there's two parts of this passage, right? So let's first start with the parable, the smaller section. Would you say you're the lender, the 500, or the 50? And if you say you're the lender, you're wrong, right? So now we're going to the big thing. All right, so who's Jesus in this passage? Well, Jesus is Jesus. This is who Jesus is in this passage. Who are you? Are you the Pharisee who doesn't know he's a sinner sitting around next to Jesus saying, hey, we're all cool. Is that you? Are you the person saying, I'm going to sit on the outside and I'm going to listen and I'm going to kind of see what's happening here and then we can go from there? All right. Or are you the person who says, here's all my money I just blew on this amazingly awesome oil and I'm going to wash your feet with it after I wash it with my tears? Who are you in this passage? And it's not who you want to be. It's who are you in this passage? There has to be a conviction for change. So think about that. Who are you in this passage? And then now we talk about who should you be in this passage, which I'm pretty sure we all know who we should be, and that is the woman with the oil and the, yeah, who didn't steal it. She came, bought it, washed Jesus' feet. All right, so now a couple of little last points of application here, and then we're going to go from there. It says, um, you should have this sense of joy that comes from being in the presence of Jesus. Did you realize Like you said, this is emotional. There is a joy. There is a happiness that came from her being in the presence of Jesus to where she could weep tears of joy and wash his feet. This is an emotional response. There was a joyous response. She was excited that she could see Jesus. And we are in a room right now with a bunch of people worshiping Jesus later. Are we going to be excited that we are in the presence of Jesus? Are we going to have a joy that comes from being in the presence of Jesus? Or are we going to be more like the Pharisees or someone like that who's saying, let me just sit around here and relax and keep myself equal because you know what? Those people who are over-spiritual over there and they get super hyped up and you know they might raise their hands or clap off beat or something like that or do whatever they do. Those people, they are obviously, they don't know Jesus because that there's no way they would act like that because I've never acted like that and that is not joy and I express joy by standing like this and doing whatever I do. And I really don't express joy like that, but I do stand like that often. Um, so anyways, where's this? How, how do we express the joy that we have from coming in the presence of God? And it could be that you're a one-handed guy. It could be that you're a I pray at home type. of. It could be a multitude of things. But when you see joy at being in the presence of Jesus, is that equal to the joy you see when the Bengals win a game? If those two are lopsided... You have a problem unless Jesus is higher. All right, okay, let's go back. Um, joy of Jesus' presence, joy of season premiere of scandal. Right? So we're going to hit both sides here. Where, where's, the, where's the thing? Where's your joy level? There should be an, a, a higher, a static level of joy that comes from being in the presence of God. Secondly, we should realize that we are all forgiven of enough sin to keep us from Christ no matter the amount of sin. So think about that. And this is, this is where the love for me, this is, the, this is where God really hit me. And he said, you know, you feel like you have loved, that you were forgiven of a little, and therefore you can love a little. 
and the, the feeling that I had growing up and those feelings that I had, this is, this is where it's, it all comes together when I realize no matter how much the physical sin was, sin puts a barrier between me and God and I have to be forgiven of that sin to get over there. So all of us are forgiven the same sin that allows us access to Jesus. So therefore, we all have the ability to love God the same and we all have the ability to say, God, I love you because without you, no matter who I was and what I've done, I wouldn't be with you in heaven. This is, we've all been forgiven that much sin. We need to live our life as a life of service to Jesus for what he did to us. She found Jesus. She served Jesus by washing his feet. She served Jesus by anointing him, with, by anointing his feet and by kissing him. She served Jesus for what he did. Not so he would do what he did, but because of what he did. We, and then uh, we need to live our life as a life of gratification for what he did. And this goes back with the joy where we have to be grateful and we have to be thankful for what Jesus did in our life. And that is going to help us with the joy in our life. And this is all going to build together into a big picture here. Um, and then we also, and this is kind of like what I said before, we need to not judge others for being too focused on the goodness of Christ. I know, I mean, I've been there. Uh, you see the new person who had just gotten saved, they just gotten baptized. And you're like, man, they are just way spiritual. Like, I don't know if I was ever like that, you know, red hot, like it or not. I was never that guy. I don't know if that person, um, this connection that I have is not there or whatever it is. Like, they are clearly have a different level of joy than I do, and I'm not that person. I'm calm, cool, and collected. Um, Okay. None of that's acceptable. We all are in the same state. Whether you're Pastor Vince, who's been a pastor for years now, was a youth pastor for years. Whether you're me, who has gone through my life circumstances. Whether you're Jordan. Whether you're somebody who just came off the street. Whether you're somebody who just got baptized. Whether you're somebody on the street corner who breaks down and cries out for God because he's finally got a hold of their heart. All of us have the same joy for Christ. All of us have the same joy that we're saved. And there's no difference. It's all in how we express that joy. Just keep in mind, as we said, how do you express your joy for Christ compared to the joy in other things in your life? I, don't, I, guess, I, I guess one of my pet peeves is like, oh man, I just want to be as spiritual as I was when I just got saved. I wish I could have that fire and that tenacity. You forgot what you were saved from. Because when you were just saved, you were happy because you remembered the sin you just came out of and how good you were. That's your problem. Why don't you get off your high horse and realize, oh, Jesus still forgave me of all this sin and all this stuff I've done since then. So therefore, I should be more happy because I've done more sin knowing I wasn't supposed to do it. I break rules even now that I know there are rules. Before you're a sinner, oh, there's, there, oh yeah, you need to love Jesus. Here's some rules. Okay, now we know there are rules and we still break them. That should mean we have more joy to Christ because even though we have already said we know we are wrong when we come to you, he forgives us every time. This is more of a joy. This is, oh, I wish I was as spiritual and I wish I was as happy as I was when I first got saved. That's crazy. You should be happier now. It should be an ever-growing and an ever-bigger thing that every day you are happier and more excited that you love Jesus. Sorry, that was... One of my small pet peeves. Um, and then lastly here, um, there was a financial response in this passage. Now, I'm not going to take an offering for me, events, the church, anything like that, so just put that aside. This lady who was a sinner, whether she was a harlot, whether she was an adulteress, whether she was anything, she is a lady in this time frame 
trying to make money, which is not easy. She is a lady in this time frame trying to go buy a fragrant jar of anointing oil, which wouldn't be easy. But she found that Jesus was in town. Whatever money she had, bought that oil and went to Jesus. You can't pass it up. It's there. You have to know that with following Jesus, there is a joy, there is a gratification, there is this elation, there is all these other things that happen, but there is also a responsibility to serve him in our lives and in our finances. Let us pray real quick. Heavenly Father, I thank you for today, for uh, letting me come here, for letting me be a part of Love City. I'm really blessed, the fact that I have a pastor like I do, I have a family like I do, and I have this church family like I do who won't let me slide away and slip away into periods of depression and not on fireness and all these other terms that we have. But I serve a God who is strong and mighty and is amazing, and I just am excited that I get the honor of being in your presence, and I wish that I could wash your feet with my tears and dry them with my hair and put the most expensive oil I could ever find all over your feet as a sign of gratitude. You are an amazing God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.